Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that examines and explains the inner workings of the insurance industry. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I will discuss an aspect of the insurance market with a leading individual from the insurance world. And this week, we have uh, Simon Birchwell with us, and our topic will be the future of insurance. Simon is a partner at the accountants Ernst & Young, where he's been for 13 years, and he's the insurance advisory leader for the UK, and he co-leads the firm's global captives practice. But before that, he worked in the insurance industry for 15 years as an underwriter and broker, and all of that would be sufficient by itself to invite Simon onto the podcast. But the specific reason is because he's recently co-authored a report on the future of insurance and reinsurance. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a privilege. Before we dissect your report, uh, I'm intrigued to know a bit more about your journey. As, as I've just said, you, you started out in insurance and then moved over to uh, the mm. consulting side of things with, with Ernst & Young. So, first of all, how did you get into insurance? And secondly, why did you move from there into consultancy? I'd love to be able to tell you it was all a very thoroughly thought through plan, but I think probably like most people's career, that just wasn't the case. I'm the youngest of six kids. And uh, when I sort of fell out of university in the mid 80s with an English degree, my parents were very clear that I had to sort myself out and get a decent job. Um, I had one of those rather wonderful um, godfathers who had been in the Lloyd's market all of his life who said, come and spend a week or two with us and see what you think. And uh, the Lloyd's Market of 1986, you know, end of the old room, just about the transition into the new room. Um, but obviously, mid-80s, you know, the, the boom years, the loads of money years, it was a lot of fun in the market then. I'm not saying it isn't now. But um, for young people going into the market then, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it didn't take me very long to realize that um, somebody with a sort of background in, in performing arts to a small degree and uh, a bit of the gift of the gab, um, was going to do well in a market which thrived on sort of you know presentation skills and personality and those sorts of things. And if I'd known you were involved in the performing arts, I would have, I would have prepared a series of questions on that. We'll we'll have to get you back, maybe talking about captives or something like that. And uh, I'll ask you all <laughs> it was about a while your, ago. Your, your, your acting career that would be uh, that would be great. The report uh, is what we're here to talk about, and it is absolutely fascinating. It's it's forty pages long, so it's very very bite sized in that sense, and it's beautifully presented and very easy to read. And the strap line for it is how insurers can redefine the possible on the journey to 2030. And that's exactly what it does. If anyone out there is listening and wants to read it, I, I highly recommend it because it's, it's a very interesting read and quite thought-provoking. Obviously, we don't have time to go through the whole of it today. So I just want to focus on a few key issues. And let's start at the very beginning. The report says that the insurance world is, and I quote, on the precipice of critical transformation, close quotes, and uh, the time has come for one of the oldest industries on earth to reinvent itself. First of all, what is it that, that makes you reach that conclusion? And that's the starting point for the report. Um, yes, a, a whole load of different dynamics to that, actually. I think that some of the bigger sort of uh, findings were the huge shift that has taken place in the asset bases of large commercial businesses over the last 50 years as they've swung from being roughly 30% intangible on balance sheet to roughly 80% intangible as an average. And of course, the insurance industry at this end has struggled very hard to keep up with that. Um, it, it, it largely rates uh, business on its turnover, um, its headcount, its, its property asset values. Those are the sort of core denominators of rating. 
And of course, if you're looking at a modern business, you know, extreme examples, the Amazons and the the, uh, the Googles, you know, looking at their property value doesn't really tell you very much about the business and its exposure. So we can see very quickly looking at that that um, there was a need to move the game on dramatically in terms of managing what uh, what those, those commercial entities were concerned about. We also could see from the captive side, so from the, their own internal insurance and reinsurance vehicles, that they put 145 billion of additional premium into captives in the last decade. And that's a really worrying factor for the industry because over that period, obviously, it's been a soft market. Rates have declined. And traditionally, you would expect captives to buy more reinsurance um, from the market as the rates go down. But they haven't done that. They've retained more risk. So I suppose as a combination, we're seeing a customer base that you know, is, uh, has a whole new world of exposures that are much less tangible and therefore much less well-suited to traditional insurance products. And therefore, they're sticking a lot more of their um, risk premium into captives than they ever have done before. And that's a call to arms for the industry as we see it. You know, the last time we saw a major shift like this in terms of demand from clients on the industry was probably in the, in the 1920s rather than the 2020s, when obviously we'd had the, the, uh, the big earthquake, we'd had the Spanish flu pandemic. Cuthbert Heath & Co. basically created uh, the non-marine industry as we know it during that period of time and changed it from being a largely marine-focused industry to being having a whole load of new coverages. And I suppose what we're saying in this report is we need the same again. And certainly the, the thing which, um, as I was reading, the thing which piqued my interest more than anything else was that fact that you mentioned um, at, at the beginning of, of, of that answer, which was that uh, in 1985, 32% of a company's value was comprised of intangible assets, whereas now it's over 80%. And you've obviously referred yep. to some of the, you know, the, the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Googles of this world, which... which which don't exist in the, in the nuts and bolts and the bricks and mortar that the old companies used to. They exist in, in a much more ethereal world. And you know, you've also mentioned the other pressures that we've got, climate change, regulatory pressures, competitive pressures. And you've also mentioned the talk about clients and the fact that the clients' needs are, are changing. And, 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 and in relation to the clients themselves, I mean, you've touched upon it, but would you be able to expand upon that a little bit? In, in what ways are the needs of clients changing at the moment? At the top of the market, sort of the major captives, etc., um, we are seeing a lot more interest from multinationals that own captives in not having losses. That seems ridiculous. I know, uh, obviously, everybody's interested in not having losses, but in, in using the expertise of the insurance and reinsurance industry to help them have fewer losses. And clearly, that is in everybody's interest, but there's been some sort of strange belief long held that risk engineering, etc., is something to do with pricing, not to do with the service to clients that's all about them not losing. Clearly, it's in everybody's interest that the losses don't occur, but we're not yet using the data, the analytics, all of that great stuff that, that is all around us in this industry to help clients reduce their loss exposures in a way that's really, really meaningful to them. It would be enormously differentiating, wouldn't it, if you knew that by, by being a client of a particular insurer, they were helping you have fewer losses. And that was a massive competitive advantage in the way that they they went about their relationship with their clients. At the moment, it's, it's, it just doesn't have that mindset. But of course, as soon as we switch to much more of a data-led, service-led proposition, and we worry far less about the insurance transaction, that enables a sort of day-to-day -day interaction between the customer and the insurer in the way that you see in most modern businesses. One of those things that's been fascinating through all of this sort of lockdown periods that you've probably heard from every single business that you've ever interacted with. It's got your website, your, 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 um, it's got your email address has been in touch with you. 
even my motor motor engineer, you know, people who look after my car, they're very proactively in touch with me, telling me, you know, how to look after a car during lockdown, how to make sure my battery doesn't go flat, giving me discounts when I when I, when I come back. But my insurance company has been absolutely silent because they haven't got a proposition that's around a day to day service. They only have a proposition that's around claim. So we see an enormous shift towards a service-based industry away from a claims-focused industry. And using all of the rich data and analytics that's present in the industry to drive reduced risk and better day-to-day outcomes for businesses. That's uh, that, that's fascinating. And uh, certainly in doing these podcasts and in, in talking to those people, uh, the, what I'm seeing is, is a shift from... The, historically, there have been insurance of groups, and therefore you get good insureds and you get bad insureds within a group. And, and bizarrely, the fact that the bad insureds know that they're covered actually encourages them to take risks which maybe they wouldn't otherwise take. And sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes that's a bad thing. But what seems to be happening with, with the, the increased levels of data is that you can personalise insurance far, far more specifically. You're not necessarily limited to the 20 questions on a proposal form. You you have uh, you know a, a myriad amount of data that can personalise insurance, and as you say, that then leads to loss prevention being a critical factor because people will know that the insurance is tailored for them. It's not priced based on generic issues; it's priced based on very very specific issues for that insured and for the data held by that insured, and mm. therefore they will do whatever they can to get their premiums down. Absolutely right, and I, I think I think it also comes with a with a shift from a static based relationship to a dynamic based relationship. Um, we did a lot of work over the recent years um, with the, the marine sector, particularly the marine hull sector, um, using blockchain technology, Internet of Things type sensors to connect ships and their movements up to insurers and their capital. And very quickly, when you start to do that sort of thing, of course, the ship owners are saying, "Well, why are we placing this?" fleet once a year using average data and then coming in every sort of quarter or half year and updating you with great swathes of board row data when we can give you real-time data on every one of those vessels and what it's doing how it's performing where it's going you know because actually we'd love to buy insurance on a per ship per, per voyage basis and we'd be quite happy if you would adjust the price dynamically during the voyage I mean that works fine for us uh, because we've got these large assets and I suspect, you know, historically, as you say, insurance has worked on the basis that we, we pull together groups and some are good and some are bad, and that's how it works. We average it all out. But going forward, we'll have the data to be able to, to micro-charge and micro-adjust and, and you know, dynamically price so that people will actually pay for what they should be paying for, and it won't be the law of average. Now, some will gain and some will lose in terms of the price, but everybody will know they've got the coverage they need and should be paying for. So what do you believe, looking forward, what do you believe will be the, the, the key attributes of, of an insurer in the future? Well, this demands a number of things, doesn't it? I mean, it, it demands first and foremost a level of connectivity to, to the end clients that I think has not been there of late. Um, and there are many reasons why it's not been there. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a complex uh, value chain, but it's also a value chain which has some very delineated positions on so when I say to insurers, you know, why don't you know more about the interests of your customer? They say, well, because we never meet them or we meet them once a year for the renewal conversation. They sit behind a, a wholesale broker and a retail broker and maybe an MGA or something. You know, there's a whole load of people in the chain between us and them. I'm not saying that that has to go away, and, and certainly our report doesn't say that at all, but it does say that you've got to stop it being a linear chain 
and you've got to turn it into much more of an exchange of value and data and interaction so that the data is moving in the right way between those who've got it and those who need it. Um, and we can therefore design better products and services to suit. So, so we think the best insurers will be the ones who grasp that most keenly and therefore bring a, a level of agility to, to how they operate um, with, their, with their end customers and with the, the variety of intermediaries who sit between them and their customers and service providers too. Yeah, so it, it, it'll be uh, treating the, the, the end customer, not as someone who just buys something and then there might or might not be claims subsequently but there's a much more holistic relationship. So much more as, a, as an advisor than merely a, a provider of insurance. Is, is, is that? Completely right. Yeah, completely right. I mean, if, if somebody at this end of the market says to you, oh, well, you know, there's a huge churn in the market, they're buying on price, it's this, that, and the other. You, you, know, you have to sit back and think, how many global organizations just buy on price? Is that really what they want? when they're talking about protecting their balance sheet, their risks, their exposures, their long-term livelihood, their investors. They really want to, to be an organization that churns their relationships every year. I don't believe that's at all true. It isn't true in any other form of life. Most organizations are in long-term strategic partnership with their partners. And I think the insurance industry just needs to understand how to become a long-term strategic partner for its clients. And then those relationships last because you've got something that you're providing to them every day the losses become something that are relatively unusual, more certainly more unusual, but the relationship is much, much stronger because you're helping them run their business with less loss. Mm. And, and uh, I mean, historically, the, the insurance broker has been in the you know, providing advice about insurance yeah. role, and insurers have just been in the provision of policies role. If, I appreciate that's a very simplistic analysis. But what, what I think what you're saying is actually insurers may begin to overlap with, with with what has traditionally been the the, the broker role, the insurers will take on a, maybe a, a more of an adv- advisory role, um, and, and, yeah. and maybe maybe even the insurers and, and brokers will begin to combine and, and combine services to provide a much more holistic service. Yeah, spot on. I think the yeah the value exchange as we see it allows people to do obviously within a regulatory framework, but allows exactly. people to do yeah. different things to what they've done before. So you're already seeing you know the likes of law firms who are in the provision of data and, and software, the likes of um, accounting firms who are big consulting providers and BPO, managed service providers, software, again. Um, but what you're, you, you're starting to see more and more is more of a mix in, in other parts of the value chain. So obviously, the rise of the MGA and cover holders has been brokers taking on more and more of the underwriting activity. We're now starting to see some very clever activities happening from insurers, like, like um, follow-only syndicates, tracker syndicates coming. I think what we expect to happen is a, a much more dynamic market in which the best organization to provide value in any one place is the one which, which provides that value. And whether that was traditionally a breaking firm or traditionally an insurer firm or third parties, consultants, advisors, whatever it may be, I think we all have the ability to, to rebalance depending upon the nature of the deal and what it is we're trying to do with the That's fascinating. And the, the, the report was, was largely written before COVID-19. Yes. Um, but if you had known then what you know now, 
would you have changed any of your views or, or, or is COVID-19 actually acting as a catalyst for the sort of change that, that you're discussing anyway? I have to admit that we did change it just mildly afterwards in case anybody reads it and says, how did he, how did he put a scenario in about pandemics? That was so much more. It's, it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did change that scenario, but uh, it didn't take very much changing, very modest changing to make it perfectly capable of, of dealing with the scenario that we found ourselves in. I think as much as anything, it's a catalyst for what we were saying. We were, we, were, we were telling the industry that it was missing the point for a lot of the concerns of its customer base. And I'm afraid that's been proven to be the case. You know, the whole NDBI commotion that's been happening in recent months, you know, something we were calling out there very clearly that shouldn't be linked to property covers. It's, it's something that needs to stand up on its own. The absence of, um, of coverage for many of uh, the customer base's uh, biggest concerns was something which was clearly in there too. So I think what we're finding here is this is a really useful context for our clients to look at when it comes to the sort of next and beyond phases of coming out of the pandemic. We kind of look at the now, next and beyond. Now was very much the immediate sort of keep the lights on, keep the businesses running, keep serving clients. And the next and beyond really needs to think about how we build the businesses back better than they were before. Uh, as an industry, we come back in in a more sustainable way, but with much more capable customer service, building a, a customer a cost point that's much more affordable. And, and I think that's the you know, the fundamental call to arms here, as well as a big ask on product development and service development, which will see the industry properly sustain itself uh, and its customers over the next 10, 15 years. So plenty there is a challenge, I'm afraid, but, uh, but, but we're certainly using it with a lot of, a lot of insurers and brokers now as the sort of the vision behind their, their sort of future plans and strategies. If, if you could, I know this is a very simplistic question, but it's the sort of thing one does on podcasts. So please, yeah, please, sure. please bear with me on this. If, if you could boil your whole report down to one big idea, what would that what would that idea be? Insurance as an industry, certainly the large commercial insurance sector, has traditionally had points in its history where it's had to make a big leap forward to stay ahead of the service needs of its customer base. Roughly every 100 years, it's had a big leap forward. And the report basically says, we need another one now. The customer base's needs have changed so dramatically, and the industry needs to jump straight forward to, to get ahead of all of that. And if it does so, the future looks very bright for the insurance industry and its, its various counterparts. Excellent. Well, we'll get you back in 2030, and uh, I, I'll show you what you wrote and said, were you right or were you wrong? You can prize me off the golf course in 2030, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we end, uh, I just want to remind um, everyone that the report is publicly available. Um, if you type in Next Wave Insurance into a search engine, you'll find it. And it is a fascinating read, and I, I hugely recommend it. Finally, Simon. Um, <laughs> Simon is currently waving it at me over Zoom. <laughs> no one's going to see that, Simon. But uh, um, Simon, uh, y your journey in insurance uh, has been an unusual one. Um, but what bit of advice would you give to someone starting out on their career? Is, is, is insurance something that you would recommend? Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, what it, I suppose for me, it's been 34 years now in and around the market. It's allowed me a huge amount of um, international exposure. Um, I've lived in Asia, I've lived in the States, I've lived in the Middle East. It's allowed me some very, very interesting and dynamic client challenges over the years. And I think you know what I've found is you know, whether you start in the insurance industry and you stay in the insurance industry, or like me, you start and, and move into becoming a consultant to the industry, There's so there are so many different roles uh, and so many rich opportunities to have a great career in the industry. And I think that's only continuing now. I mean, the talent that we need now and a diverse talent that we need now as an industry 
is uh, is overwhelming in terms of the opportunities that it brings. And I do think, yeah, managing risk for the commercial world and, and even the personal lines world is is never going away. We just need to use all of that talent and all that capability in better ways to bring better solutions to the commercial world, the personal world, the governmental world. And I think people going into this will always have rich and diverse careers. And that's, let's face it, what we're, we're all wanting to be able to do. Um, I normally finish it at that stage, but actually you're talking about kind of youth coming in. Right at the outset of, of this, uh, this chat, you said, that uh, when you joined the insurance market, it was a you know, it was a enlivening place to be. It was a wonderful place to be as, as a as a young person. But yeah, actually, your report flags up the fact that insurance is less attractive to to the younger generation. How do you think insurance? I mean, I suppose many of the changes that you're talking about to this far more client driven, data driven, holistic, rather than just provision of an insurance policy and then provision of claim service, that should in itself make it more attractive to young people, presumably. Oh, completely. I think I think the perception of of insurance, particularly at this age, at this end of it, is that it's a you know an old school world, both in terms of uh, how it's portrayed and also the service propositions that it provides the client, and that it's in some way out of touch with, with what clients are doing. But you know, those of us who do work within it realise that nothing happens in terms of innovation without insurers getting interested in supporting that innovation. Anything you can think of that's happening in the world probably has an insurance dimension to it or absolutely should have an insurance dimension to it. So as we've been saying, as the industry evolves into this next stage where it's much more customer and service focused than it has been, the talents that it will need to draw upon will be much, much more interesting, diverse, capable than they've been in the past. But we'll still also need all of those strong underwriting and actuarial skills that we've had in the past. We may be doing more automation around that, of course, but you know the skill sets will remain um, so i i think we're lucky aren't we it's a it's a very interesting industry i think it will become an even more interesting industry for people to come through in the future you're selling it well simon i'm, <laughs> I'm very impressed no it, I, I i agree with you i i you know doing these podcasts and talking to people i you can't help but feel that with the, the insure tech coming and technology and we're on the cusp of something you know, that there is yeah. going to be change. And it, it just feels that and it almost needs another Cuthbert Heath um, to, to come along and stir things up in, in a new way and to create a new, maybe you are that man, Simon. Maybe, maybe well, you are. Well, there you go. There the, you go. The, the 21st Cuthbert, century Cuthbert. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Simon, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and have a good life and see you in 2030. Look forward to it. Thanks very much indeed, Peter. Thank you, Simon. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Insurance Covered. Insurance Covered is an RPC production, recorded and edited by Mary Mitchell. We couldn't do this without Joe Burgess, Sean Alberts and of course our guests. Thanks to them. If you want to be a guest or have any feedback for us, please contact us on podcast at rpc.co.uk. Finally, please rate, share and review it. And please subscribe so that you can ensure receiving future episodes. Thank you.